Hello, I'm Nick Lee, and you are listening to Level Playing Field. Hey, welcome to another episode of Level Playing Field. This is Randy Bush, your host. I just got off the phone with Nick Lee, who is my guest this episode. We talked for a long time, and it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do, too. It is a little under two hours, though, so I understand if you need to break it up in parts. But definitely worth listening to, especially where we talk about mental health. There is a point where he does talk about self-harm. I do want to warn people in case that is an issue for someone. I don't want you to get to a point where it brings you down. So just a heads up. Um, We talk about playing tennis and baseball and toxic masculinity in sports. We talk about his time in high school and college at Vassar College. The unique the unique programs they have at Vassar that I think a lot of colleges don't have for LGBT students and sports and just in general. So um, I will be sharing some of those groups in social media because I think they're important, whether it's at Vassar or at other schools. But I hope you enjoy this episode. I had a lot of fun. And Nick is someone who is fun to talk with. He's also written three articles at Outsports that I'm going to post in the show notes as well. And he has some other writings, which I'll try to share. Anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode with Nick Lee. Welcome, Nick, to my podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you. So every episode, I like to start with... What is your earliest memory you have as a child? I guess since we were talking about sports already, I'm just going to – one of the earliest memories is definitely a sports memory. Mm-hmm. So I remember being – this was around – I was like three-ish years old, maybe four. I was just a Mets fan because I had another friend that age that was a Mets fan. And so I had a Mets hat, and I remember – Distinctly, I remember that my dad wanted me to be a um, a Yankee fan just because of the winning culture, obviously. Yeah, I pretty much became a Yankee fan just because of that. So kind of like trophy chasing. Uh, didn't really know it at the time, but looking back, I'm definitely happy that I became a Yankee fan. And yeah. I, also know, I also know that when – so I was born – so late October 1996, so October 21st. And the Yankees won the World Series that year. So another thing was, I just know the Yankees were getting a lot of attention, including from my family around the time when I was going to be born. So I guess that association's just always been there. <laughs> nice. Were you involved in sports early on? Yeah, I, I was involved in recreational sports by the age of four. Oh, wow. Um, I probably picked up my first tennis racket around three or four years old, just doing like mini like summer camps with friends for like a week. I tried hockey when I was four years old. I remember I even had, not that I'm really into hockey, but I remember like having hockey cards at that age, baseball mm-hmm. cards. And then by like age five, well, I quit, I, I quit hockey because I really did not like it. Um, I remember, I mean, I could skate, but I remember like once it started getting really physical, there was this one time we were doing like 
basically we just divided into two teams when I was about four years old and everyone was just supposed to go for the puck and we were just playing two teams trying to score. And um, I kind of stood to the side just crying. So I did not really want to play hockey, which is why I chose a sport like tennis, non-contact. <laughs> it, it's, do you think it was also because it was also you're on your own? It's an individual sport more than a team sport? Oh, yeah. That's a huge aspect of it as well. There's, yeah. I don't think I consciously realized that aspect of it until more recently, but there's definitely aspects of the the fact that I'm playing for myself that led me to ultimately pursue tennis more competitively. Mm-hmm. So you, you played tennis. What got you into tennis, by the way, Erlan? Was it just friends doing camps or so, family history? I mean, when I first played, like, at three or four, that wasn't really... That was kind of just me trying it for fun, doing what my friends were doing. I mean, I tried. So yeah, like tennis, hockey, t-ball, basketball, soccer. So I'd done, I tried like recreational sports and all of those mm-hmm. in some, um, like by age five. Also martial arts as well. But with tennis, the first time I actually like, so I wanted to, I wanted to do like a tennis lesson. I don't even know. I don't remember why. This is like around six years old. And basically, or maybe my dad wanted me to do it. I just remember it somehow involves Sonic the Hedgehog, the video <laughs> game. Um, I remember playing, I was playing at my next door neighbor's house, Sonic the Hedgehog. And maybe it was my dad would get me Sonic if I played tennis. So kind of like trading like video games for some athletic activity, something like that. Yeah, so I started playing more so i played more for myself at like age six like i took like a few individual lessons but then kind of after that wasn't necessarily really playing that competitively but that was the first time where like i really like focused on it for a little bit oh okay and then also i read somewhere that you played baseball as well yeah so i played baseball from about so t-ball around like age five and i stopped playing competitively uh my freshman year of high school what was it like playing on a team sport like baseball as, um, you, as you progressed and got older lots of ups and downs the environment i grew up in for baseball was very cutthroat there's a really big baseball culture um where i'm from so i'm from mamaronek in westchester and around and this time, is in new york correct yes so yeah uh in new york uh, about like a half an hour outside of the city okay. new york city so around the time so when i was in like uh, elementary schoolish, the varsity team was getting a lot of recognition locally because they were winning they won like multiple state championships and there was a bunch of players going to play uh really competitive division one baseball so so yeah it was a really definitely a very intense environment because they wanted to continue that tradition of success and they were really trying to instill that from a very young age even just recreational baseball Mm -hmm. um just kind of the you know parents yelling from the uh stands uh coaches yelling a lot getting very involved and also obviously a lot of for recreational sports it's a lot of parents coaching too right so so that can lead to a lot of kids getting yelled at and then crying and that becoming a whole issue 
So definitely saw a lot of that, especially like in recreational sports um, from like age five to like, I don't know, maybe like until I, until I started playing more competitively around like age 10 or 11 when like travel sports start picking up. How were travel, how was travel baseball for you? So I played on quite a few different travel teams. Um, I actually had some really good experiences with travel baseball. I, because I played on a few teams where I really found like my element. Um, I really found my groove. Um, there's one travel team I was playing for that I was like the starting third baseman and I was batting, and this is in middle school, batting like second or third in the lineup. Um, then there was another travel team I played for um, where I was playing shortstop and batting fourth in the lineup. And like, I remember like my, I had like a season in eighth grade for travel baseball where I batted like 500 and was playing shortstop. So that's when I was really enjoying baseball. But obviously baseball can be really tough to enjoy at times, especially after like a over four day where you really feel like you didn't really contribute anything. But it had a lot of a lot of ups and downs, just really trying to figure out if I was if I even wanted to play. And there was one summer, I think this was in sixth grade. Yeah, going into seventh grade where I played travel baseball locally and I was just for so this is um this is before the teams that I played for that I started but so this summer the team I played for I maybe got like three at bats the entire summer and like played in like went to like 30 different games and it just felt like if I went into the game it was kind of like do or die every single time and like couldn't really realize how absurd that was in the moment knowing that I was like 12 years old and it felt like literally if you made an error in the field, that was kind of like the end of it. Oh, um, yeah. 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 I remember I made like a few errors and I guess I got like pulled out of the field, like mid game. And that was pretty embarrassing. And like, this is like, I'm like 12 years old at the time, just trying to enjoy baseball. Yeah. It just got, it just got, so I guess I always liked baseball. It's just more, didn't necessarily always like the environment that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were times where, like when I was playing for a team I enjoyed um, or playing well, I mean, it's easier to be happy when you're playing well, where I was, I wanted to go to games, but there were some times where I really dreaded going to two or three baseball games on the, on a weekend. And definitely just a lot of built up anxiety about performing well on the field, like making sure instead of just enjoying myself and like playing to play, just like worried in advance um, about making an error and how coaches and other players would react because I was so used to that do or die mentality where essentially if you did not perform, you were going to get yelled at. And so that was just always in the back of my mind was I had to like perform well or else. Yeah, that's interesting. As you're talking, I was thinking baseball really is a sport where it's a team sport, but it's also an individual sport because sure. you are, you know, you're going one-on-one with the pitcher you are, mm-hmm. you know, you're making plays, you're catching, you're throwing. So there is a focus on you. For sure. That you don't get in like a football or, or hockey. For sure. No, I, I completely agree. Especially with the, um, the pace that it's going at. There might not be a big play for a while. And then all of a sudden, there's a big play. Um, and it just feels like the attention's kind of all on you in that yeah. moment. It sounds like you're pretty good at baseball. What? What made you decide to leave and focus on tennis or was there, what, what um, made the change? There are, there are a number of things that happened. So I had played modified baseball for my high school, my, in a, 
um, seventh grade, which was like a pretty big deal in my area. It was really hard to make the team as a um, as a seventh grader. Honestly, I really did not enjoy that season. Um, and actually, a lot of the eighth graders that I was playing with at the time ended up quitting baseball um, oh, after that year. Like, um, like six or seven people I know, like discontinued the sport after that or just played like recreationally but and really talented really talented athletes but who didn't want to be a part of that environment actually like three or four of them ended up switching over to tennis as well at least for junior varsity and didn't necessarily like go on to play tennis competitively but just switched over to tennis because they enjoyed it more and they didn't want to be a part of that environment anymore what Um, made it so bad so one thing I, I remember like one talk that we had with our coach where he basically sat, he had us all sit down and he was angry at us for the way we were performing in practice. And so we're seventh and eighth graders at the time. And he starts talking about like, how are we going to be making it at the top, top level on the varsity team for playing that? Um, and like, and the thing is, that puts so much added pressure and it's not even like, like, is that all this is about? Like, we're just a part, like, it's not like we're in like an academy where we're like building up to go, you know, whatever's six years down the line on the varsity baseball team where we're then trying to get recruited and then maybe on the like off chance, like one person potentially goes pro like, we're playing in seventh and eighth grade because we like to play baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think that that mentality that like that added pressure, like when we're 12 and 13, like not really recognizing that we're 12 and 13 year olds and that we might not want to play varsity baseball. It's kind of like when a teacher says to you, I mean, this is a little different, like three year teachers say to you, Oh, it's going to be like, so much harder in the future so you got to make sure um you know like you're doing well now because you're gonna have so much more work next year which i just never and like the majority of people i know like found to never really be an issue like you know we're everyone really seems to be ready like you you're doing your work and then you move up next year and you're just ready but it was this added pressure that like we were somehow going to screw up in the moment and that was going to be detrimental to us for the future to come. Yeah. If we didn't do something right now, um, whether it was just like getting the signs down or making plays. Um, I think it was just intent, like not, I mean, I think there, there is a level of intensity that's obviously important to competitive sports, but, um, Definitely not a healthy form of intensity. Definitely one that really did not know how to properly nurture and co- like create a culture that was like one in which we could really enjoy what we were doing. Um, and I think that's why so many people ended up dropping out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think about if there's anything else like distinct from that year. But so... Yeah, didn't really enjoy that year. And actually next year just was between trying out for junior varsity tennis and baseball. 
and felt like I had a guaranteed spot on the baseball team again. So I said, why not? Mm-hmm. And there was a new coach and he actually ended up cutting me from the team. So, which also was pretty absurd considering I had been on the team the year before. So that was a pretty, that was a pretty upsetting few months walking with my, uh, friends to school they all had their baseball bags with them and I didn't and I'd been on the team last year yeah so definitely like the I was a complete mess the day that I got cut from that team um I think I just like binge watched movies like I watched like four movies with my dad that day like afterwards because I just didn't want to do anything definitely made the uh, decision for me to switch to tennis much easier because I remember some of the people like involved in the tryout not necessarily the head coach saying like oh like you know just keep working hard like you'll you know you can always like try out for the freshman team next year and then I remember one question that I asked that made me very angry was you know like consider like you know playing like travel baseball in the off season. I said to the person that said that to me I just I did like I I have been playing baseball year round. Like I dedicated my summer to baseball and my fall to baseball, and I was batting fourth on a um, travel team, playing shortstop and batted five hundred. So I've been putting in the work. So at that point, I kind of realized that I was not going to continue. I was not going to try out for the team in high school. Mm-hmm. You you get cut from the baseball team. Are, were you still playing tennis the entire time or did you Yeah, I was still play? yeah, I was still playing I was still playing tennis and I was still playing tournaments. So I actually ended up just playing a bunch of tournaments um the spring of 8th grade. Yeah. So you you get like I said you get cut, you st- you're playing tennis, you're upping your tennis game. But then also 12 13 you you know hormones and and growth sexuality start to play a part in everyone's life, regardless of what sexuality they are. For sure. How did that have any influence on how you handle all of this or? Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I think, I think it was just a mix. There was a lot, I mean, I feel like it was pretty, just a complex situation for me. I think regardless of the sexual orientation side of it, I definitely just had anxiety. Like it's, it's something that runs in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that definitely got provoked by the environment I was in. Like, so like I have generalized anxiety disorder now, and I definitely think that like, you know, part of that was just, it runs in the family. And then the environment I was in definitely, you know, it just, it's just, it, it, it was ingrained enough that, that I had enough experiences that, um, provoked anxiety that it just essentially became like a part of me, but regarding like sexual orientation, yeah, there was, I mean, I definitely, in the back of my mind, I don't know, I never really labeled it as sexual orientation at the time, because that was not really a topic that I was too exposed to at the time. Mm-hmm. So I think definitely trying to figure out, like, the, regarding, like, the friendship side of things, like, having certain emotions towards guys that I wasn't having towards girls, and figuring out how to properly attribute that like whether this was like a natural part of friendship or not and then hearing um my friends like talk about um like girls they were into and like kind of like slowly connecting the dots that like the way they were talking about girls was the same way I was feeling about guys mm-hmm. and so in 
the baseball environment at that time, there was definitely a lot of feeling left out, not purposely, but more just not relating to the experiences of um, what other players were talking about when it came to, you know, who they thought was really attractive, like in our class, class year. And then also just like my discomfort with myself and like not understanding like how I felt about certain people, whether it was like physical attraction and like how to navigate that environment. And then obviously slurs being thrown around and this environment created in which, you know, being gay is associated with something bad. So I hadn't really fully connected the dots, but I still knew like that there was like something going on that I knew I couldn't really express. And that if I did that, it would kind of be my downfall. But yeah, I mean, at that time, like I wasn't really able to fully understand all that was going on but it was certainly contributing to anxiety i'd say more in like a practice environment not necessarily in like games because in games people i feel like were more focused on you know just playing but like downtime and practices and stuff like that's when like you know players start talking to each other and joking with each other more um and that's definitely where i suffered in that regard yeah because it sucks because we'll get to your coming out portion in a, in a minute but up until that time you don't have anyone to talk to you can't talk to your parents you don't really have friends that you can go to no, and 100%. so and so there's no one to to dialogue with and to bounce things off of and and to really handle what's going on in your head yeah and it's not even like it was a part of i mean obviously now more it's becoming more and more a part of like sex education mm-hmm. um but I mean, like in fifth grade, when I had that, like that was not something that we discussed. Like when we had the same thing in middle school, that's not something that we discussed. So obviously, like heterosexuality was the default for all of the conversations, which like on the one hand, like I understand the majority of people are heterosexual, but also on the other hand, like not acknowledging, you know, this is not necessarily applicable to everyone, nor does it cover the full range of people's like experiences and stories or what they're going through or what they're going to experience so yeah never really actually having that ability to like come into myself and like my sexuality that you know had through just you know like learn behavior whether it's through how they interact with friends um and then conversation with their parents etc so yeah it's that's that, that's a very isolating experience, obviously, and one that I feel like a lot of queer people share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, <clears throat> I'm fortunate because I live in an area in Northern California that pretty liberal. Mm-hmm. So my, just to share a little bit about me, my son went to a Christian elementary school. Then he, mm-hmm. in sixth grade, he goes to a public school. And his first taste of public school, they have this web thing that's an orientation for new classmates to come in and get a tour of the school by students themselves. Mm-hmm. So he has this very sheltered life at the school up until fifth grade. And then he goes to this. And the first experience he has is his people that were given the tour was a lesbian, a young lesbian girl and a, a gay guy. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of the day, we're able to talk to my son and well, how does that make you feel and stuff? And it's different because I'm bisexual. So it, it, it's just coming differently from a different point of view anyways. Yeah. Yeah. But it just seems even in since what junior high for you is about eight years ago. 
nine years ago, maybe. Yeah, around then. <laughs> even even in that time frame, there's been a huge change, a huge momentum. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And like I said, I I come from a, a liberal area in California, so what people are having in Iowa or you know Nebraska is probably different. Yeah. But I would hope that it's not so different where they're not at least seeing other kids like them. For sure. And also just the exposure in the media now, I'd hope too, even if maybe you're not having that same experience that children growing up in more liberal liberal areas are having, that there's some way for you to connect somehow through social media. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because I know that's that's a, you know, one of the positives that's happened for a lot of people is finding people you can relate to online so we um so you're playing you go and decide to play tennis obviously throughout high school Mm -hmm. how is tennis season different than baseball for you Um, i mean not not just the sport because obviously the sport's different but just yeah mentally and emotionally um it was different in a significant number of ways um the people on the team just there was i mean our tennis team was very good um there's a lot of tennis in our area and so the intensity was there but it wasn't an intensity that was being forced upon us really by our coach my coach actually for junior varsity was also my uh social studies coach and he's just like he's just a really nice laid-back guy like great teacher everyone loves having him and very competitive athlete too uh like i know he still plays competitive basketball I think he does like slow pitch softball as well, but it was pretty hands off in a way that really just allowed us to enjoy ourselves. And the thing about tennis that's different from sports like football, maybe maybe basketball, is that if you're playing tennis competitively at that age, it means you're training multiple times a week and playing tournaments. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that growth, and I think. This is the same for a lot of people. A lot of people who end up playing high school tennis and are already pretty competitive, it's because of the training they're doing um, outside of school. And so I was lucky to be in an environment where the coaches recognized that and it was pretty hands-off. And I mean, they were obviously there to help guide the way, but it was definitely more about our experience that year, my freshman year, than what are we going to be in the future? Which one, which ones of us are going to play varsity tennis? Like which ones of us are going to be at the top? And I also had a few really good friends on the team and a really good friend who actually, he transferred from, he went to an all German school, but then came to our high school my freshman year. So like one of my really close friends who actually goes to Vassar as well. So we've been close friends for a while. He was also on the team. And so he was, so I had a few really close friends on the team who were less, com- who were you know into tennis and like talented tennis players, but like less competitive than me. Mm-hmm. So it was honestly, I started receiving like a lot of the attention, and like I'm not gonna lie, like you know it's nice to receive the attention sometimes. And so I guess that transition from being cut the year before to working really hard and fighting through my anxiety, which I mean, you know obviously later on was affecting me in a lot of negative ways because I really hadn't addressed it, but, you know, got through that stage, managed to 
make the um make the JV team and like stand out and play one singles that year and then go undefeated was definitely like a really good like really affirming experience for me. I mean, still, you know, the experience with the slurs, etc., similar environment in that regard, but I was enjoying myself more though at that time. And just to explain for anybody listening that doesn't know, obviously tennis is an individual sport, but when you're playing in high school and college or even the world uh, team tennis league that they have, it's also a team sport. So yeah. how, how does that break down? And generally, because I know each league is different. For high school tennis, it was three singles teams starting and then two or three singles players, four doubles teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was for how we, that was how we competed for matches. But the majority of the time we're in practice and we're just all hitting together, just enjoying ourselves on and just like playing different games and stuff like that. So it was very much a team environment when I was playing in high school, even though when you go out on court for a for singles and um, on match day, like that's individual, but it was still a team environment. Well, and then also you could win your individual match, but your team loses. Yes. Which had to make it hard sometimes. Yeah. So I'm trying to, well, fortunately enough, our, my, the, the JV team and the varsity team I played on did not, there was not much losing. Oh, um, nice. We, we won, we won like, we, we won like 90% of our matches. So, and it, it was really funny because we, we would go to matches sometimes and teams would be doing like dynamic warmups and stuff, which obviously is very important. Didn't really know it at the time. And we were kind of just messing around, like playing like short court games for fun before the match. And then we'd go out and sweep the team, like win every single match. So it was, it was quite an environment. Yeah. Because we just had a bunch of players who were already playing tournaments all the time outside of school and training. So we really just enjoying ourselves out there. When you would come out your junior year, I believe it was your junior year, right? Yes. Do you first come out to a teammate and friend, or do you come out to someone that's not on the team? So this was someone that I had been close friends with. We were friends outside of tennis. Okay. We just happened to like be on the team at the same time at, at various points, and that was during probably like the that was probably the roughest time of my life. I was struggling with a lot of things. Um, definitely the academic side of things. Um, I was in a, just like where I grew up, there's a lot of, a lot of like doctors, bankers, uh, lawyers, et cetera, like really successful with just like a very, or more, a very um, select um, view of, or narrow view on like what defines success. Mm-hmm. Um and so I felt like I was pigeonholed into that and I didn't really have an outside perspective on what, how success can be defined in like various number of ways. And so for me, success was I had to, and this is similar to what I was experiencing when I played baseball, that I had to get like above a 95 on all my tests, that I had to take all the honors and AP classes um, available. And if I didn't do that, then I wasn't going to get into an Ivy League school. And I needed to get into an Ivy League school in order to be successful. Um, that, was, that was literally, that was my mentality at the time. Like, that, that is 
what I thought I needed to do mm-hmm. in order to be successful and be happy. That was just, just because of this bubble that I was living in. Um, so it was extremely intense. And like, so summer of my sophomore year, the anxiety really started building up because I had a ton of work to do for school in the fall, which I was not used to. Um, and was just like really worried about, you know, how that work would reflect on my grades and like over obsessing about grades, but I'll, but then also trying to come to terms with my sexuality at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then the anxiety just continued to build, like the rumination continued to build. And, and then does anxiety, anxiety turn to depression? Exactly. I was actually about to say like that started to manifest itself more and it was kind of like a learned learned helplessness type of thing where it was just so pent up and i was just so anxious all the time i mean i've been i've been experiencing like a lot of anxiety at various points throughout my life but this was the time like now it was like this time it was it wasn't going away like this was you know months straight now um like throughout the entire summer because also oh, another thing i forgot about was like um prepping for like the essay AT or the ACT and like that experience was also a complete mess the person I had initially been working with was just not a not a nice guy just very and not just that's what I'll say about him but (laughs) (laughs) so basically um, you're saying an asshole (laughs) yeah essentially and so yeah it's the anxiety is really building up and like I don't really have an outlet for it and I really don't you know I'm just kind of lost like I mean, it was, I was very, like, worried about all the unknowns and all the things I couldn't control. So, like, one big thing was even deciding, do I take the SAT or ACT? Because Mm -hmm. I knew they were different. And I was like, all right, well, I want to take the one that I'm the best at and maximize on on that and figure that out as soon as possible so I can get the best score as possible, so I can get into the best school as possible, and then I will be happy forever. Um... (laughs) And so that was, that's, that's kind of where I was coming from. And so really not being able to make those decisions because I was just so, I couldn't make a decision because I was so scared to make decisions about anything. And also obviously no one to talk to about the, how I was feeling in regards to my sexuality, because now I have friends that are entering like relationships and that's becoming more serious and people are questioning like who you know continuing to question going to junior year turning 17 you know what's my deal why have i not been in like a relationship yet um and so all this is just really building up building up building up building up anxiety anxiety and that definitely manifested it's that began to manifest itself in the learned helplessness helplessness and uh just yeah just depression just really not knowing just sometimes like waking up and really not wanting to get out of bed and like not knowing what to do and just feeling completely lost and hopeless so is it when you reach bottom that that's when you decide you need to tell someone yeah so and i've i've written a few times about this on some things not on outsports but some other places um yeah, I got to the point where, like, I just had no outlet. Um, I began to, like, self-harm a little bit. You know, suicidal ideations. Uh, just complete mess. And no, no, like, no outlet for my anxiety. And still trying to make it through day by day. Continue training for tennis. Continue to do 
my uh, schoolwork. And so just really not knowing like what to do. And like, so eventually like I managed to will up to come out to my friend in text. And this was probably, this was like September-ish, um, maybe end of September around then or early September, uh, junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And so I think like the self-harm that like in that regard was more just having no outlet for anything and really just not knowing like there was, I just, it just felt like there was so much and like, just no, no way to let it out. No one to talk to any of this stuff with and like just feeling like I was stuck and that there was no way forward and that I really didn't know just like what to do. And like, that's just, so that's just something that happened. And that's still something that like hangs with me and like that I like have blocked out because that was what now six years ago. Um, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I obviously, obviously consider that my low point. You, you said you started texting a friend about coming out. Yes. Just kind of beating around the bush for a really long time until uh, I said the word gay in a text, <laughs> just having him kind of play kind of, kind of like playing 20 questions immediately do you feel a change yes and no (laughs) so i'm getting a really positive response from my friend Mm -hmm. well first he was like well first he didn't know if i was messing around with him or not but um he you know he's texting me about like um neil patrick harris and robbie rogers um (laughs) and you know because I was kind of like catastrophizing the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it was a step in the right direction, but honestly, that's not where I saw the biggest change because of just the mental state I was in at the time. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like this, like, you know, like life altering, like coming out experience, if that makes sense. Oh, I no, think that totally. began. Yeah, I think that that began to happen more and more once I had talked to my parents, started seeing a therapist, started taking medication, meditating, etc., doing all these things for my mental health, and then coming out to people and like feeling like it actually began having like a discussion about it. That's when I really, that's when I really felt the change. Mm-hmm. Do you ever wish that you would have? try to see a therapist before you came out to help. Oh, 100, 100%. Because <laughs> it yeah, would have I been wish... that one person you could talk to as well. Yeah. I mean, I just wish I knew more about mental health growing up. Mm-hmm. I wish I knew more about it from the classroom. Um, I wish I knew more about my family's history, but I mean, I can't really blame them for that because it's something that's, so stigmatized and it's also so personal and Mm -hmm. you know like my sister actually literally has the same not my little my my twin sister has very similar anxiety to me um but she actually knew well they actually knew at a young age that she had like serious anxiety like around like middle school so she was already dealing with that but i um already getting help in that regard Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess I always like, well, I mean, one, obviously there's the, 
gender and sex dynamics of that, of being a man and the whole, you know, like I'm supposed to be the one that's really just put together. So I, I never even really, I didn't know for a while that she had, um, she had anxiety and I mean, or like very serious anxiety, at least until I like started seeing like a therapist and like getting medication. Like that's when I found out that my twin, my twin sister of all people, like the person I was born with also has general anxiety uh, disorder. And so, I mean, I think that's, it's really, I think I was definitely mad at my parents um, in some regards. Um, But also I understood that one, they were trying to be protective of my sister. Um, I wrote about this in the, uh, the piece that I just wrote for Outsports, um, being out. Like mm-hmm. I talked about like a little bit, I touched upon like her struggles a little bit with um, autism spectrum disorder. And so, I mean, she has been through a lot as well and has been very resilient. Um, and so, you know, at a younger age, like there were, there were things that she was being helped out with that I didn't really understand. Um, and so that helps to explain why I think my parent, my parents maybe kept something like that from me. Um, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, um, and she actually also happens to be queer as well, which is pretty cool. Um, I was going to ask and... about that. Just the whole process of the twin. And I know a couple siblings that have both one, uh, a brother and sister, he identifies as gay. She's bisexual. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's the whole, the whole science behind it all, how it all works out. I'm very interested in that. I would like to know. <laughs> so when you tell her then that you're gay, does she tell, do you, how does that come about? Do you talk to her first or does she tell you about her? How does, how does that conversation, or does it happen at the same time? Um, I actually didn't find out. Honestly, she was very subtle about it. I more found out about her, more found out from her like around like senior year, but she was still figuring out what she like how she felt and i mean there's and she's actually i'm gonna talk to her about this soon because she reached out to me about um the piece i wrote and like because she wants to get more into the intersection of sexuality and um and like ability Mm -hmm. um especially for her i think that you know, it's like there's just like added layers on top of that. Like it's really I think it's an intersection that doesn't really get discussed that doesn't get a lot of attention. So, yeah, I think it was I guess I guess I also had my my coming out experience was definitely the more dramatic one. So do you think was, it's because it was first or because you were a male coming out? Um since I was the first one, a male coming out and also just all of the, the, the mental health side of things mm-hmm. that was happening. Um, I was directly. Um, my sibling out from my, my family found out from my mom. Um, and I mean, my sisters like couldn't, they're both they're They've both been in, like acting their entire lives like that's something 
my little sister's just been ex- my little sister especially has just been really exposed to throughout her life. My little sister was very upset with me that I did not tell her, <laughs> which I think is really cute and awesome because she was in eighth grade at the time. So I think that that is really impressive. So yeah, she was mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "What?" Um, and then my twin sister was just really chill about it. Like she, it was, and then, you know, I found out later that she was queer as well. Um, I don't really, I think, I don't know if she's really found a label for herself yet. I told her it doesn't really matter, but, um, yeah, but, um, she, yeah. So she came out later. Um, it's cool. It's also a weird dynamic because it's in some regards, because it's kind of like she was going through things growing up due to experiences in school and like socially. And then I felt like now it was like me going through stuff because of my sexuality. And then all of a sudden I find out that she's also queer as well. Um, How did your parents handle it? Did they take it well? Was it? Um, for me or for her or for you for both, I guess. Oh yeah, um, for both. Yeah, no, they, well, I mean, there wasn't really a conversation about it for a while just because of the mental space that I was in. So they were pretty hands off about it for a while. I think they were. I think they were just more worried about my mental health above all. Yeah, I bet. And trying to, and I think, and I think they were extremely upset, obviously, about not knowing like what was going on with me, and trying to like really like unpack like what was happening, like the fact that like they thought I was all fine and then I wasn't. So I think that was the more pressing concern for them. So regarding the sex, so they were more, and I think a lot of people have this experience because you just build up so much paranoia because you just latch on to all the microaggressions, all the slurs throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, at least for me, build up this idea that people are not going to accept you. So, I mean, so there's the, the response was much better than I expected. And I think that's a big thing. One thing that we've been seeing, at least I've been seeing like more lately is that transition from what like one's like ideas are about something and the tolerance to actually visibly expressing publicly in your day to day life, how you feel about a certain issue. Like, you know, for instance, if I walk around with a rainbow bracelet or I put like on my car, like a pride bumper sticker or like, someone sees that and they they immediately know like if there's someone who's not out or something that like I'm someone that they can confide in. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not something that I necessarily saw growing up. So there was no way for me to tell who was or wasn't an ally. And I think that's like a really big thing is allies going out of their way and whether it's, you know, for whether it's like, teachers or administration putting on their door that sticker or when they're in an environment with people that they might not know as well they don't know their history their background their sexual orientation like making sure you're very inclusive in that regard because you never really know obviously how your words are affecting someone um so and i think a lot of people have had this experience where just like with friends, et cetera, you know, they've said so many things that have hurt over the years, but in the end they were extremely accepting. So I think that's just been like a huge wake up call for 
over the last few years about how people are sensitive to what they're saying and like how that's impacting those around them. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. It's something I've never really thought of that just the visible ways we can show support to mm-hmm. offer someone that we're here for. That's great. For sure. Um, so you have, you, you reach a low point in your life. You mm-hmm. start, you start to come out to family, to friends. Tennis is going well. Mm-hmm. You have a part of your story that I, I love as a tennis fan. A year and a half ago, I went to London and I actually toured Wimbledon. Yeah. Just being there was emotional for me. It was exciting. So many feelings for you. You actually go to the U S tennis association and play in the grandstand. Yeah. I I can't imagine how you feel at this moment. How, how do you get there and, and tell me just a little bit about it? The New York state high school tennis association or New York state high school public. I, I, I'm honestly forgetting the acronym right now. Um, basically the state tournament for public high schools for tennis, um, is held, um, at the USTA, um, the Billie Jean King, like national tennis center, Mm -hmm. um, which is really awesome. Um, and so I'd already gone to play there, um, my sophomore year of high school. So basically to qualify for that, you either play, well, you have to be a certain, a certain number of players from your team will get into the individual conference tournament for either singles or doubles. And that's based on your team's performance um, and also your individual performance throughout the year. And so, so um, within the conference, you have to play top three, I believe, um, in singles or doubles or top, like top, top three or four or something, and then get into the, am I getting the order correct? Yeah. And then you get into the sectional tournament. And so there's seeds for the conference tournament, the sectional tournament. And then in the sectional tournament, you have to place, um, top three as well in singles or doubles in order to make this the state championships and so um came in third got that third place spot in the sectional tournament which meant that we lost in the semis and then won our next match mm-hmm. so basically it was lose and we were out and so um my doubles partner was um is this guy, Mark Filotti, um, who really phenomenal tennis player, played um, two-time um, NCAA All-American, so qualified for the NCAA tournament for Division Three tennis twice in singles. So really yeah. great player. So And it's a draw of like 64 for doubles, or maybe 32, 64, 64 for singles. Um, and it's players from all over the state, so we were lucky. We're one of the areas that's obviously closer to uh, to Flushing Meadows. Um, and so they just go through like one match at a time for singles and doubles and just put people out on different courts. And so they're using the – it's not the practice courts, but it's just the – it's not the stadium courts, though, that you're playing on. I mean, it's right. like courts that – That's not Arthur Ashe Stadium or – Yeah, or – yeah. 
and and then they've been making like new smaller stadiums recently but um just like the normal outdoor courts with like just like smaller stands um but they just like timing wise they needed to use an extra court and i think there was like some court that was under construction so they were using the grandstand and so most people landed on i mean like there's like 10 plus courts out there that are not the grandstand so most people were playing matches not in the grandstand and just twice two times in a row um we happen to be the team gets that gets picked to that that like that 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 was the open court at the time so went out to the grandstand for um the what was it the round of 16 and for the quarterfinals of the uh, state championships and so yeah i was playing doubles uh in the grandstand in front of my family um pretty much feeling like both times that we were going to win uh and yeah in a stadium that seats like 8000 plus people where just the sound of the balls like the sound of the ball is incredible the atmosphere is absolutely incredible like i had already i've watched professional tennis players play there mm-hmm. like i've read articles i've read articles on professional tennis players talking about their experience playing in the grandstand and how they like the grandstand um and now all of a sudden i'm playing there and it's really funny i mean like just during warm-ups like hitting overheads the ball goes into the stands and then my friend's dad's just running around the entire stadium just like grabbing the ball to throw it back to us um yeah so that was i mean that's one of easily one of the highlights of my tennis career i mean there's just 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 like purely enjoying the sport and loving being out there and also just embracing the atmosphere i mean that was just that was just, I mean, that's just, like, ridiculous. Like, you really can't ask for that. <laughs> I mean, like, just, you know, most people didn't even get to play once in the grandstand in the tournament, and we get to play in there twice. Yeah, it's crazy. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was at first, like, a little difficult to adjust to because there's so much room behind the baseline and also just, like, within, like, your, like, but I mean, ended up just kind of like, you know, dialing it in and just focusing on the match. Because like on the on the one hand, we wanted to take it all in, but on the other hand, we were there to compete and we wanted to win. So, right. But we still did get our pictures. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important. Exactly. Um. So yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So you finish your your high school tennis career. How do you choose to go to Vassar? very long process i did a full i went full circle because like as i was talking about earlier wanted to go to an ivy league school so i applied to brown ed1 got deferred i'd made like a recruiting video for tennis though um and was in contact with um the coach at vassar um so i wasn't being like necessarily really like officially recruited but i mean the coach knew that i was interested in vassar and he'd seen like me play through my video Mm -hmm. um he and he like could see my ranking and all those things um and like talked about like how i'd be like a good fit for the program when i first did a tour of vassar the tour guide happened to be the captain of the tennis team oh nice who was also who was also openly gay um so that was a really good experience just a huge coincidence um 
So, I mean, just the environment of like inclusion at Vassar was a big draw for me. The campus is absolutely tremendous. It's just beautiful. And um, I did two overnights there. I did one with a family friend and then one with um, the team. And just both times, I just absolutely loved every aspect of it. And so when it came down to making that final decision um, for early decision two, I was just like, you know, it's like my gut's telling me Vassar. And like, that's where I decided to go. And so once you... Once you start attending Vassar, you're practicing with the team. Obviously, as the having the captain that's gay, you're not having to break ground. But how quickly are you coming out to the team? Is it even before you commit, or is it after you've already? So he actually, the unfortunate part was he did not play his senior year season. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean that would have been really nice, you know, to because also he's a really good tennis player, but um. Yeah, he just didn't – and I mean this this happens like where some people – it's just like their senior year and they just focus on their academics, mm-hmm. um, especially for like a Division three program. Um, so – and that's like the choice he ended up making. I mean we still – like we're still friends and like built a relationship that year. But um, yeah, he wasn't on a team. Um, but I, I just thought at that point coming out more quickly was better. Um, mm-hmm. During the visit, I wasn't really thinking about it or like that concerned about it because um, – the there was the other person that was out on the team um but actually his name's he was featured in like a post on uh out sports on instagram his name's uh christian um and so so yeah i didn't really like didn't really think about it too much like wasn't worried about it i wasn't worried about it when i did the visit um i was just really enjoying being with the team because it was just a ton of fun um but so yeah when i get to vaster I'm there like for like orientation week. And then when, so before the season starts, this is like end of August, beginning of September, no, end of, end of August, there's a um, local tournament that actually a few of the guys on the team played in. Um, and I played in it as well. And just like one of the guys on the team, like asked me if I had a girlfriend and I just told him like right there, I was just like, no, I'm gay. And he was like, oh, okay. And then, I think like with a lot of them, when I told them, they said like, oh, you know, Christian is as well. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, like that was their immediate. Um, <laughs> so I guess it's interesting because, you know, they, they had all, I knew that they had all been playing. I knew that all the upperclassmen had been on the team with someone that was queer. So I wasn't really worried about that whatsoever. Um, I did have to come out to them because like, I'm not, I guess I kind of got put in that box of like, uh, like just like quote unquote like straight passing um so i was assumed to be straight but i mean i really came out without hesitation mostly um and to the uh income and to the incoming to the my class as well oh okay yeah so you're just out then at college say that again you're just completely out then yeah i came out i mean i came out to i mean it's not like you have a, a big uh a big event and announced to the whole school, but it's not like you're hiding your. No, as, exactly, it, exactly. I mean, there was a few. Up. There were a few. There were a few issues at first with um a few people more with just like with what they were saying, and I was kind of surprised by some of the things that I was overhearing before. This is before I came out to some people, 
but I mean, in the end, it really wasn't an issue. I mean, I was I was out to the entire team by by like at least like September of like my freshman year. So you've written three stories that out sports, I believe. Yes. And so one of those you talk about how um, you guys do this yearly thing in L.A. Mm-hmm. And one of your teammates, I think it was your sophomore year, wears pink socks and one of the teams calls him a faggot. One of the players yes. on the team. Yeah. How do you guys handle that as a team? And were you the only out tennis player on the team? Yeah, so I've been the only uh, out person on the team for the last four years. Um, uh, so I didn't hear it when it happened. Um, I was either spectating a different court or playing at the time. Um, so my some of my friends like one of my closer friends on the team i talked to him about it i was like why didn't you tell me he's like he was like i was not going to tell you at the match that happened because he's just like i know like he's like i know it would have upset you and i think it would have made things even worse which i thought he made the right choice in that regard not telling me during the match what what had happened because i also think he didn't want to put the burden on me to be the one to have to react just because i am gay Mm-hmm. My coach directly addressed it with their coach. Yeah, I mean, my coach was uh, my coach. I mean, it really. So I've had two coaches. I had one coach for my first two years. Really, really good relationship with both of them. So yeah, in that regard, I mean, I was already out to my coach, and like he he went up to their coach and was like that, like Ling, which is that's just like not that's just not okay, like whatsoever. Like it's like you don't know, like who's on other teams or like what their background is or like their sexuality. So like, you just cannot be saying things like that. So my coach took the initiative. Um, and I don't even, but I think it was more my coach kind of dealt with it. I don't even know if like the entire team even knew about what happened, honestly. So it kind of, it didn't really explode or anything like that. Oh, that's good. It sounds like the, the mentality at that school. I mean, um, you sent me a photo this morning and I shared on Instagram about the division three banner in the athletic department. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have that with the, the rainbow colors and the one team you guys at Vassar have the Vassar college queer trans and non-binary group. Mm-hmm. You guys had LGBT sports safe come to Vassar in March. Yes. I mean, so it's a, it's a college, it's a program that definitely seems they're accepting the all and, it must be nice as a player to to play in an environment like that, but also when new freshmen come on board, regardless of their sport, to have this out in the open. Yeah, 100%. And we've been, just like some of us in the group have been hearing from like students that graduated before us that they wish they had some of this stuff going on. And I think that's like a credit to like just the students who've really, and the administration as well, just taking... But there's been a lot of student initiative to um, to really increase the visibility of LGBT plus um, athletes um, at Vassar and really working with administration to do so. Um, actually, so my sophomore year, I was on the house team. So we have like a house team for each dorm. Um, and I met Chris in high school for, and so 
that was really big because a bunch of student athletes went to that. Um, and like, that's kind of, I mean, that was, that was a tremendous experience. So just like over my time, just like during my time here, I've just seen the environment improve at a school that was already like very accepting in the first place compared to like a lot of other areas and more progressive. I've definitely seen like a lot of growth here as well. As an out athlete, it must make that portion of your life at Vassar so much easier. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And I mean, you know, there's still that lingering discomfort that kind of comes with like the years of just like that, like sandpaper trauma to like microaggressions um, and just, you know, still feeling maybe not necessarily the most comfortable around certain teams that are more masculine. Um, but I mean, it's, you know, it's certainly better than what it was. And it's, you know, some of it's also on me and like me learning to be as comfortable with myself as I can. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that I have a lot of people to that do support me. Um, so yeah, I mean, and there's still like little things that happen. Like I've had a few experiences, like a few experiences here that just like with like uh, slurs and microaggressions um, once directed at me, which is a very weird experience because that's not something that happens at Vassar. Mm -hmm. The person, the person was drunk though. So I'll give him that. Um, not that. <laughs> not that isn't a good excuse, but yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a school that's really striving to cultivate uh, an accepting environment for LGBT plus athletes. And I'm hoping and I mean, I believe that like once I graduate that it's it's going to continue because there's some underclassmen that are really dedicated to this. Um, and so, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in the future at Vassar. Yeah, obviously things are going well there, but like you mentioned, nothing's perfect. There's it uh -huh. only takes it only takes one person who maybe is even drunk to exactly to come at you physically or or whatever. And so it, societal norms and pressures just can't make it that easy for you for anybody. For sure, for sure. For your senior thesis, well, um, for one of the classes. You had a group project, and I want to touch on that because it was a uh, it was titled "Media Message and Mental Health." Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically, I did a year long thesis through the uh, psychology department. Um, so there's different there's four different uh, theses groups, and you can apply you can apply to one of them, and like you like list like your top choices, and then basically you get then they just place people. Um, but it's limited sizes. It's like four, it's four people max to a group. There was one group that had five this year. Um, and so I applied for this, this particular one because I mean, there wasn't, I mean, it's like this, the students I was working with and then the um, professor slash advisor, um, like we came up like with the more specific like project idea, like research that we were going to do like throughout the year. But initially, when I applied, I knew that it was going to be work pertaining to the intersection between, like, social psychology and social media. And so that just that just interested me immediately. Um, and that's why I applied for that one for my number one choice. And the reason we took that approach was there's a lot of research exploring the negative implications of um, – of 
social media, um, particularly particularly like regarding particularly regarding body image. A lot of work um, on research on, on like body image in women, esteem, self esteem, depressive symptoms, and then some re- some research for men as well. Um, less research, but just how like this constant exposure to like these idealized like figures like these media figures um can be like detrimental to people's mental health especially if they have like particular psychological vulnerabilities and that's and my thesis advisor has done a lot of research in that regard um and so we wanted to shift the frame a little bit um knowing that social media is not really going anywhere and mm-hmm. kind of look at it through a positive psych lens and see, well, if we expose people to positive mental health messaging, how are they going to respond? Um, like what's their, like how receptive will they be? How will they respond? How likely will they be to um, seek out additional information pertaining to mental health for themselves and others? And basically the experiment involved um, manipulating the fame level of the post. So we exposed people to like ostensibly real, um, ostensibly real Instagram accounts. So like it wasn't, it wasn't real individuals. Like we create, we artificially created like peers and um, social media influencers and celebrities. And like there, we like changed their number of like, likes and followers um and stuff like that just to like make it look real um but the the messaging was the same across these conditions so we wanted to see like how fame level interacted with this positive mental health messaging so like it would be like a like an inspiring quote and then a caption from the poster disclosing some experience with like facing adversity um, in regards to mental health. Um, and so there were three different um, like um, images and then captions. And we use the same ones for each condition. So for like a peer, for a social media, influ- for a social media influencer, and then for celebrity. And so that was our experiment. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's, there's, there's, a lot of other stuff we did as well, but it would <laughs> it it would take a while to explain all of it. But that was that was like the main focus. Were you happy with the outcome? Yeah, we got a lot of significant data, um, and we're hoping to publish some of it. I mean, it was a whole it was a year year's worth of work, um, but it was definitely nice to see that we found we had some significant results like just like supporting like just like supporting how like mental health messaging could be used in some ways to help like certain people because we looked at like a variety of like individual difference variables and also how people like relate to famous people and how they like relate to their close friend and then we would like come we would use those like variables and like in order to see how they interacted with um, the experimental portion. So 
just like beyond like the overarching like effects of mental health messaging, seeing what appeals more to what people based on like certain individual differences. And so it was also a way of shifting the frame in regards to those psychological vulnerabilities that might make people more, those same like psychological vulnerabilities will make them more receptive to certain forms of positive mental health messaging and kind of like figuring out like what works best for what people and figuring out how this actually fits in the ecological validity of it. Like how does this actually fit in in the real world? Like when people are actually on Instagram, because this is an experiment that we had. So it wasn't, it's not actually people on Instagram, but yeah, it was a, it was quite an experience. (laughs) That's cool. So this past week you, you did your last set of finals for college. Yes. Yes. You graduate in a couple weeks. I graduate um, next a week from today. Nice. What's next for you? At least with the summer, I'm just looking to continue teaching and playing tennis. Um, start studying for the uh, GRE. Figure out grad school plans um, because right now I'm hoping to go to graduate school for sports psychology and this is the longest time that i've had my mind set on actually just like one possible idea for a job for the future sounds right up your alley yeah i mean it does it does sports and psychology are two things i'm very into so um so it's it sounds promising because i haven't changed my mind like every two weeks about it like i did with (laughs) everything else before um so the summer is going to be probably like the a little more laid back um before i become more of an adult not fully an adult i don't know when that's gonna happen but um (laughs) that's what i've heard (laughs) at least if you do it right you never fully become an adult yeah i'm okay with that but in september i'll be traveling to madrid uh teaching english there and so i studied abroad in madrid and in my junior year Uh, There's a Vassar Wesleyan program there, so it was really accessible and easy to just like it's 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 like a long it's a very established program at our school, so that was a great experience and just want to go back there just for like the experience of like immersion for another year, continue working on my Spanish because Hispanic studies is one of my majors as well, and also just like kind of have a year where almost like a gap year where I'm you know, really able to like reflect and figure out like what direction I want to go. It's a year to be a little more independent and grow up a little bit more um, before, you know, before really moving forward because I've been in school for so long. And so it's a step towards the real world, but um, uh, I think it'll be nice for me to be in a different country for a little while. And like a place that I'm already very comfortable navigating. And it's Spain, so there's, exactly. you can't go wrong there. I've only been to Barcelona, but very impressed with Spain. Any Sorry, West... say, say that again? Oh, I said that I've only been to Barcelona, but from what I saw, very beautiful, beautiful country. Oh, yeah. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And the food's fantastic as well. Yeah. Do you think you'll do graduate school back on the East Coast, or do you think you'll finally come to the West Coast and, and try it out? I'm... Honestly, I think anything is possible. I think East Coast is possible. West Coast is possible. 
Europe could be possible. Um, I have, I do have a cousin currently studying, um, getting his, is it master's or PhD? He's getting a, yeah, he's getting his PhD right now at, um, Stanford right now, actually, in aeronautical space engineering. So not up my alley, but, um, he's, he's on the West coast and he really enjoys it out there. So definitely a possibility. Um, also just, there's a limited number of sports psychology programming. So if that's the route that I choose, true. Um, I just got to go where, uh, a program exists. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's something I'll really just be digging into this summer, uh, after I graduate. All right, cool. Well, We've been talking for about an hour and a half, and I have my final 20 questions I want to ask you, and then we'll let cool. you go. Okay, um, awesome. Let me, let me just go ahead and start. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? If I could have a superpower? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, oh, honestly, just, like, be, like – I was just watching Nadal and Djokovic play, so, honestly, I, I consider them, like, having – I consider them to, like, have superpowers – so to play tennis like them. All right. That works for me. Um, if you could pick a personal theme song, what song would you choose? Oh, that's a difficult one. Personal theme song. Oh gosh. Um I feel like I, could, I feel like if I asked my friend, they'd have a good answer for me. <laughs> but a personal theme song. Am I allowed to ask them? Is that is that appropriate? Oh yeah, you wanna you wanna phone a friend? <laughs> I've I well they're in the other room. I can ask them right now. Go for it. I'm going to go for it real quick. Guys, personal theme song for me. What would it be? Appropriate song. I'll go with Shallow. Shallow? Lady Gaga. All right. That works. Oh, no. He's, he's really thinking about it right now. <laughs> TLC? Oh, yeah, no scrubs. Yeah, no scrubs. No scrubs, TLC. That's the final answer. That's your final answer, okay. Yes. Nice. <laughs> um, who is your first celebrity crush? Uh, um, oh, that's difficult. I don't remember. There's so many of them. Um, <laughs> first celebrity crush? Yeah. Or your, your most notable? Uh... Oh, Zach Efron, definitely. All right. He is not the first not the first time he's been brought up, by the way. Makes sense. Um, if you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, I want to meet Roger Federer. All right. That would be a good one. Yeah. What is the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? Oh. Uh, well, the news is quite interesting. Um, not necessarily always in good ways. Um, yeah. I actually read a really interesting article this week on, it was more directed at heterosexual men, but like how it was in the New York times about how men are like express intimacy with other men that they're just friends with platonically mm-hmm. and like just being able to say like, I love you versus like, like love you, bro. Or like much love stuff like that. Which honestly, I related to a lot as well. Um, just really, yeah. So that was a really interesting piece for me. I'll have to check that out. With your finals going on, I don't know if you have a recent one, but do you have any obsession streaming obsessions? Streaming? 
Yeah, like, like Netflix, just like Hulu. Um, Community. Oh, okay. That was a good show. Yeah, it's it's. I'm disappointed I didn't watch it earlier. Oh, and well, Game of Thrones tonight. Of course. And Atlanta. I'm watching a lot of TV. Okay. <laughs> I just finished final. Yeah. Which fictional character would you like to meet in real life? That's a really difficult one as well. So I don't even know if I'm thinking like cartoon or not right now. <laughs> um, Batman would be pretty cool. Alrighty. Even if it's Robert Pattinson or whatever the latest rumor for the new movies. No, I'd go with I'd go with the previous Batman. Oh, okay. If animals could talk, which animal would be the most annoying? Which one would be the most annoying? Yes. My dog. Just my dog. Personally. Just your not every dog, just your dog. Yeah, my dog. All right. Who inspires you? Oh. Well, I guess I already said my sister this week, so I'll pick someone else. Uh, hmm. I've said my parents before. I'll give this shout out to my aunt. She does as well. Both right. my aunts. Both my aunts. So a lot of family. Yeah. That's cool. What is your favorite word? My favorite word? Yeah. Uh, right now, it's ostensibly. Alrighty. What is your least favorite word? besides slurs <laughs> yeah anything um ooh. there's also some academic words that bother me as well just when people use them i feel like they're trying to be trying to show that they're really smart mm-hmm. um i mean i definitely don't like the word faggot obviously i feel like that's oh, a pretty obvious one though um but if they if that is your answer that's your answer yeah, I'll go with that. All right. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, oh, sorry, I just got a text. So um, I thought I'd turn that off. Um, creatively, that's difficult. Hmm. Definitely, like, after reading something, like, inspiring, like, maybe, like, off bout sports or something, that's kind of what I get my mind, like, running about something I might want to run, um, write about, um, but also, I don't know, I guess I could call tennis a form of, like, creativity. Um, just, like, with, like, constructing points on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, emotionally, I don't know. I like getting into just deep philosophical com- conversations about life sometimes with my close friends. And I took, like, a, I took a modern uh, class on modernism this semester. And it just got very, like, philosophical. Um, just very deep, kind of about... It was about the false promises of modernity. Um, so that was definitely a good topic for creative expression and also just like deep intellectual and emotional conversations about life. All right. What turns you off? Um, in that same, with those same, in that same regard? Yeah. Um, Although I did have one person say women, but. <laughs> uh, the current polarization of the current political climate. Okay. What is your favorite curse word? Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. I have a bit of a potty mouth sometimes. 
What's your um, what's your go to? Um, just saying fuck in Spanish. So joder. Okay, interesting. Um, what sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise I love. Definitely just like a like running water like in a stream. Okay. What sound or noise do you hate? Um. Ooh, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what do I go with? Just people talking when I want it to be quiet. <laughs> so that's not a particular sound. Like I'm trying to get work done or something like that. So just a, no- just a noise that I feel like is being an inconvenience to me. All right. <laughs> um, a few more questions and we're done. No, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt, obviously, as a, a student? It's hmm. a little different, but... Um... I've been thinking about what it would be like to go into writing as like a full time career. I mean, I want to continue writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also thought about what it would be like to be a doctor. Um, I think it would be cool in some ways, but I don't know if I necessarily want to be a doctor that performs surgeries. I just don't know if I'd be really up for that. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like being, uh, I feel like being like, um, like for instance, when I was in Spain, I did like a lot of, did a lot of tours and there's a lot of bilingual people running tours at these really cool historical places. I think that could be fun. Um, not something I would want to do for my entire life, but definitely something that I think would be interesting. Oh yeah, definitely. What profession would you not like to do? Um, this one's for my parents. I don't want to be a lawyer. They're both lawyers, so oh, okay. <laughs> I just want them to hear that. All right. No, I'm just kidding. They're not pushing. They're not. Well, I don't want to be a lawyer, but they're not. They're not pushing me to be a lawyer, so it's fine. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Ooh, ooh, just that I can still have some Nutella. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. Yeah, it's, I have a sweet tooth, so. All right. If my final question is this, it. If you can tell a 12-year-old child who is um, in a dark place because they're dealing with their sexuality, they're just growing up, what is that one thing you'd like to tell them? So I guess it's like, well, the first part of it is, you know, starting off with, I know like this might, what I say like might not like make you feel better now and that it might take a little bit of time before, you know, you find a place where you are happier. And that's just something I've come to learn with like mental health. Like for me personally, like coming out and like that there was a delay between coming out and then actually becoming happier. Um, that it's, I know this is like cliche, but like, you know, life is very short. And like for me personally, like my experiences in, competitive athletics i mean i want to continue it but it's you know it's it's went by in some in some sense like in the blink of an eye mm-hmm. um but you're doing it for yourself and you know now just with all the visibility like you're a part of something bigger and you're a part of something that's very important which is lgbt plus inclusion in sports um and that 
your place in sports matters and that it will be valued by so many people. Um, because I mean, it's been a, it's been a long time coming for us. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you're doing it, you're doing it for you. And I kind of touched upon this in the being out feature that like, you know, no one, I mean, unless someone is like that overtly homophobic or transphobic that they actually take away the experience from you that like no one like can take away like your love for a sport and no one should be able to take that away from you. Um, because at the end of the day, like we all deserve to be in athletics and you know, it's, it's almost like you have to be more selfish at some point. It's that like, this is like, this is for us just as much as it is for anyone else even though people might tell us otherwise. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, Nick, it has been a lot of fun talking with you. Equally. Um, Yeah, thank you so much. It's been longer than I I thought it would be, but you have been a joy and you have so much to say on this topic, so I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's very important to talk about. And I also love, just love the idea of doing this in podcasts too. Thank you for listening to this episode with Nick. Like I said before, a lot of fun, a lot of good information from him. Um, I hope you were able to learn something from him and enjoy our time together. That's it for this week, and have a great one. Hope to see you next time.